Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I think here we're going to have to change his name. Henceforth, he shall no longer be known as Eric Lenscher, nor Magneto. I think now we just call him Magnum Daddy Mutant Man. And I think that's just for the best. I think that makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this experience. Unlike her, who I trained and bred in the fields of peon. <laughs> And speaking of people that I would never want to pee on, I just want to continue celebrating this amazing summer of fandom. One of the coolest things about this show has been bringing together people who have different experiences, came to the X-Men in different ways. We've been celebrating with the likes of Nathan and Chongo and Rod and Josh all summer long, and we're just going to keep on rolling out the hits. I want to welcome one of my favorite people from X-Twitter. Everybody, say hello to Arturo. Hey! Hello! Hi guys, long time listener, first time caller, excited to be here. Oh, and that's that's how we want it. We want everybody calling in and sharing their experience. And, you know, maybe I'm a little biased because you're a little bit Cuban, which, you know, I might be a little fond of. Whatever. Oh, we got but another? Beyond Oh yeah, this is this is the Latin X Men show at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Or as we say in Miami, whatever, bro. Whatever, bro. Kyle, that makes you our token white and we love you for it. <laughs> But speaking of people who have been white, they've been black, they've been purple. I understand, Arturo, that one of your favorite X-Men ever is none other than Captain Magnets himself, Magneto. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the best characters, I think, just of the entire franchise. Uh, just so rich with so many different sides to him. And I love every version of Magneto. I love the Messiah, the Megalomaniac, the Genosian head of state, the teacher, like Magneto all the time is the best. I love when Fassbender hangs dong. I am into all of this. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, okay. But then what was your first Magneto experience? What made you a Magneto man? What made you a Stan Nito? (laughs) Can I get away with that? A Stan Nito? You can get away with that. Okay. Uh, I I gotta I gotta take it back to Uncanny X-Men 274, Magneto in the Savage Land rogue in the savage land bikini and so much backstory i read that and reread that so many times as a kid like i would try to draw the panels and that was the magneto that that i was first introduced to right he had all of this complexity he had this he was haunted by his you know tragic backstory and he was in this transition phase uh where he was no longer a villain but he was no longer teaching the new mutants at the at the school and it was like magneto unmoored you know and and trying to figure out where his next steps are and there's so much story packed into that that one issue another you know part of his past coming up for him to to reckon with at that point is uh the mutate slaves that he had created in you know a comic that i had never read and i just i just fell in love with the character just such a complex incredible character and i've just loved him ever since and it's almost impossible to examine the x-men without taking a direct look at the master of magnetism himself he is the impetus for the realities that 
that plague the X-Men for the rest of their time. I mean, when you think about Daredevil, Daredevil's father is killed by the Fixer. That's the beginning of his story. Batman's parents are killed by Joe Cool or a gangster, and sometimes he's the Joker, but I mean, he's just a fucking guy. You know what I mean? The assassin who kills Dr. Erskine for Captain America is just a dude. But Magneto is so... I mean, Lex Luthor is just some bald guy who doesn't fucking like that Superman is an alpha bull. Like, there is so little to so many of these dynamic opposites that Magneto, as like the one who actually lasts... I kind of love it. Now, my Magneto, in my heart of hearts, is the same Magneto you're talking about. I kind of like a walking on the wild side, sometimes good, sometimes bad, anti-hero Magneto. That's my Magneto. How about you guys? What do you guys think? What's your version of uh, the great M himself? You know, I think this current iteration is one that I'm growing to be very fond of. I feel that is, as somebody who casually read the character for so many years, it feels like the culmination of all of the best character elements from every iteration that I think of, from the from the screens to books. For me, I I think my favorite version of Magneto is when he's mentoring younger mutants. Uh, him struggling with trying to be a good role model while protecting others and protecting the the mutant community in general. So it's it's a interesting change for him. I've really enjoyed in the past. I mean, he did such a bang up job with Esme when he was Zorn. So yeah. <laughs> that 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 might be the one. Is- iteration of magneto that i'm a i'm really iffy on that whole mess oh like i cosplay zorn i love him so much that was gonna be my answer because i love i love magneto going a little bit insane taking over new york <laughs> for three days and holding it hostage oh look this bridge is my hat to basically like xavier is a fetus and be like you did this and xavier's not saying anything and he's like why won't you talk to me personally i just love that a 75 year old man wore an x of chains on his bare chest That's oh so hot bold. that bare chest now that brings me to my next question i fucking love the zorn costume i think the zorn helmet the man with a star for a brain you know you're not going to get past frank quietly's designs ever in your life you know he's maybe not your cup of tea as a penciler and sometimes his people look like pudding that has been left out in the son but at his heart of hearts he's a storyteller and zorn is my magneto but if i had to go with a second look gabriel hernandez walta's magneto from just before axis and just before secret wars number two that very white on white look was really my shit i do like this white and black look i also enjoyed his recent all black look uh purple and red nice I like it, the various shades of it. I mean, I'd like to see Magneto in a soft baby blue with some yellow highlights. Like, put him in the Magneto costume, but in, like, the classic X-Kid colors. Do you remember when we all collectively lost our mind when uh, Magneto showed up in the the big M outfit in that one panel of the X-Men Fantastic Four uh, series? And we were all like, oh my god, it's the costume from 201. Oh my god, he's in the costume from 201. So good. So good. So good. Well, what about you guys? What are your favorite Magneto looks over the years? I like the classic purple and red. I'm with you. I love the new version. I love the white and the black. And for me, just, yeah, I go back to the original red and purple. It's just early, you know, Jim Lee Magneto just made such an impression on me in so many ways. I mean, I have notebooks full of me trying to imitate, you know, his style and and, and trying to draw his Magneto. So, yeah, it's hard to, like, shake that loose for me. I can't really be objective about it. And I agree that Lee's Magneto in that purple suit is menacing, but as much as I have 
stand Kirby every episode of this show, and I stand by it that Kirby and Perez are responsible for most of the modern comic visual. I do sometimes think that Kirby's Magneto looked a little bit like an erect hot dog. <laughs> I just, like, don't know what else to say. It looked a little bit engorged and, like, reddish purple, and the helmet did not help things. You know, it's so funny to echo what Nico's saying. I think the Age of X and Marvel Legacy Magneto costume is my favorite iteration of the white on white. I think Clayman did such a fantastic job. I think the epaulets being a little bit more pronounced is so severe, but without the helmet, it's soft and humble. And I think that the the cape clips into an asymmetrical cowl is just, uh, it's it's dynamite. It's so much work to remember that Clayman is an artist and not a Batman villain. <laughs> Oh my god. I would have thought that was Sandman's younger brother. There's tea all over my desk. Yeah, Sandman's much firmer, aggressively killed younger brother. Spill that tea, man. Yeah, I was going to say, is that metaphoric tea, or did you actually spill No, this is, this is literal from my nose. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie is our Michelle Visage. So, Jojo, as the guy who has yourself represented by Magneto on this show, where do you land on the Magneto costume spectrum? All over. I actually think Magneto is a character that's gotten very lucky and that he's never really had a bad costume, maybe outside of this weird hot dog looking one. I don't know. Maybe, or maybe like the Nathan's colors. That's a deep cut for people who've ever been to Nathan's. Yeah. Can we get Magneto in, <laughs> like, the, in like the Nathan's yellow and green, Ooh. just like hanging out looking for mustard? I love this. I don't I like even want idea. him to be a manager. I don't even want him to be a manager. I want him to be like the front desk guy. I want him to wear that cute little paper hat from like the old timey Nathan's. Welcome to Nathan's. I shall take your order and make it a combo. Well, that was your Thor voice, but I mean, same big guy, but I want him to be the mascot. Like he has to wear the mascot outfit. Okay. What uh, the fuck is the Nathan's mascot? A hot, dog. a hot dog. Is it really? No. Yeah, I assume. Okay. It's Nathan the hot dog. It's should be those potato wedges. Ooh. Not to be confused with Nathan, the creepy vampire man who touched Scott. Or Nathan, our great guest from a couple weeks ago. I was going to say. Nathan, our great guest. Right? We do love that Nathan. Um, But I also, now I want Magneto to work at Moe's, so he has to scream, Welcome to Moe's! Every time we come in. Welcome to Magneto's! House of Moe's. House of Moe's. Oh, that's this show, basically. Can can I just... I, I just want to put this out there. Can we all also agree that uh, one of the best Magneto looks is scantily clad Magneto? Oh, like super naked from yes. 11? Yes, yes. We're seeing him meditating, seeing him wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, seeing him walk around Asteroid M in a white robe. Yeah, scantily clad Magneto's great. I will definitely agree to that. One of my favorite things is I remember very early on in their earlier issues of Uncanny when they're invading Magneto's island. Storm is contemplating killing Magneto in his sleep and we're looking at him and he's this like buff silver daddy and it's like does he ever age really well i mean he's been a baby he's been an old man sometimes he's alive sometimes he's dead sometimes he's got a star for a brain but that was that's a lie it was never actually a dark well he's my star he's all of our 
and, that, and he's not the forces of evil anymore. No, he's not. And that makes me wonder. When you think Magneto, we've gone over your favorite iterations and your favorite costumes, but what's the Magneto story that sticks in your heart the hardest? I know for me, when I think of Magneto, I do tend to think of redemption. I think of trying to be better than you were, and I think of hoping to grow. To that end, I think of his incredibly brave moment in the pages of Fractions Uncanny, where he returns a long-believed to be gone X-Man. I think of his work in X-Men 200, as well as 150, where he makes decisions to put other people's safety before his own. Now, there's a million great Magneto moments. What about you guys? You know, I wouldn't say that I have necessarily a favorite Magneto story, because as I said before, I very casually read the character. My understanding of character is more in the cultural interpretation of the character. That said, I thought Giant Size Magneto from a few weeks back was a really excellent standalone story. And if I had to pick a favorite Magneto moment, it would be what I'm sure would be most of our favorite moments X-Men 25 during Fatal Attractions when he forcibly removes the adamantium from Wolverine and I know I know this was the most predictable response hit me up on Instagram tell me how predictable a response this was but I think because Wolverine was far and away my favorite character at the time of reading and discovering Wolverine's bone claws was one of my fondest memories of reading Wolverine as a character Magneto shaping that moment is what gave a lot of gravitas to the character for me who to this point had been, ah, I'm, I'm the background villain in, in everything you've ever seen. You know, I never had anybody defend that. I, I, Peter David, when asked, they were at an X-Men retreat, and somebody said, what can Magneto do that's so evil? And Peter David just goes, <laughs> he could just rip the metal out of Wolverine, like making fun of it. And everybody was like, that's the best idea I've ever heard. So uh, they did it. And I remember thinking it was, other than the Bone Claws, which is my favorite, I remember thinking it was kind of like, well, he can't come back from this. But you know what, Maddie, the way you explained that to me, how you felt about it, I can see the validity in the story pretty comfortably now. Well, and I, I think it only helps to highlight the transformation of Magneto over the last few decades into this soft character that we see in Giant Size Magneto. And of course, I know I'm missing large chunks of characterization there, but if anything else, it, it as a fervent reader of the current books, remembering moments like that leave me all the more inclined to go back and watch the journey for a character because clearly there must be some dynamic work. I'm not going to say it's my favorite because it's it, this is a, an impossible choice for me, but I'm just going to pull one of the favorites and say Age of Apocalypse Magneto was a great Magneto. It was interesting to see him kind of in the worst timeline being him, his best self. Okay, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with House and Powers and the whole paradigm shift, I feel almost like we're charting a course to a kind of a new age of apocalypse. That's that's just kind of what I think is ultimately going to happen. And we know that 10,000 years in, I think it's 10,000 years into the future, the, you know, the third generation Magneto or whatever still has not come out with a better costume design. He just changed the color palette to green, but North, North. North, my my son from the distant future, North. Uh, when Marvel will bring back my chimeras, I'll be so much happier. I, that can we talk about chimeras for a second? Because I think that might be one of the coolest devices that Hickman has created and put it out there and shown us a little bit of like when we get to that sandbox, what creators are going to be able to do and make these new yet familiar characters. And I'm just so happy. I'm so happy that we didn't rush to chimeras. I'm so happy that we know they exist. We know it's coming. 
thing, but you know, it's a, it's going to be a slow burn, but I think it's going to be a big, big payoff when we finally see, you know, Sinister creating crops of Chimera and, and ultimately betraying the X-Men. Honestly, I want like, I want a diary of Sinister and just be like, today I tried to combine Polaris and Wildside. It did not turn out well. Scratch that combo. Thanks, diary. I love you. Love, Sinister. And then that's just the one entry. And then I just want that. But one of my favorite Magnetos is when the X-Men were captured by Mesmero and they were put in a circus. <laughs> and everyone was like, is that the X-Men? We're not exactly sure. It could be. It looks like them. And then Mesmero was being pretty gay. And then they defeated Mesmero. But it, surprise, it was Magneto. He took him to a volcano. and In he a covered wagon. In a covered wagon. And he tortured them with Nanny. Yeah. Not that nanny, though. The other nanny. The tall nanny that's also a robot named Nanny. Too many nannies. And she <laughs> she got mad at her children for making messes. So, <laughs> I think for me, uh, my favorite Magneto is the uh, from the trial of Magneto in Uncanny 200. 200! Yeah, I really do think that it's a major turning point for his character, and it, it just, I don't know, it just strikes me as seeing potential in him that we haven't really hadn't really seen before at that point. I agree. I think it was a reassessment of the character's long-vaunted history and the many complexities of it. And I can't help but think it's turning points like 150 and 200, the development of a relationship with Lee Forrester, as well as the journey he went on as the leader of Genosha that has made his ability to help lead as sort of an ideological concept on Krakoa possible. And, and I don't think you can get to Krakoan Magneto without uh, Utopia Magneto, right? That, that I think, is, was a really important era for him because he was undeniably a good guy on the X-Men side. It was a bit of a, we, we got a band together to survive kind of thing. Uh, you know, war is made for strange bedfellows, but he really fell into the role of kind of like Scott's father figure at that time and and just or, or, or maybe more like a you know a wise uncle right but Magneto instead of trying to lead the whole thing he was happy to you know to kind of sit at the right hand of, of Scott and and Emma and uh and I think that was that was a lot of there was a lot of character building during that whole arc for him I agree completely in furthering our discussion today on everybody's favorite master of magnetism, we have X-Men number 11 with writer Jonathan Hickman, artist Lionel Francis Yu, color artist Sonny Go, letterer VCs Clayton Cowles, with design by Tom Muller, and cover art by Lionel Francis Yu and Sonny Gao. It's story time as Exodus gathers a group of young mutants to regale them in a recent story of an otherwise unlikely hero, Magneto. Plus, the summoner major of Araco sits down to an old game with some Hellions and new X-Men alumni. And I was thrilled. I know the bulk of this conversation, the heart of this is going to be about Magneto, but I was so thrilled as we discussed last week, as we've been discussing since I joined This Is X. I love New X-Men Academy X. I was so happy to see Anol and Rockslide and Leah return. I thought it was creepy, and I'm very excited to see the fallout of this game. I would like to know what exactly is going to happen, if it's going to be something transformative. I know we've been discussing the 
upcoming sword bearers of Arako, and this is the first direct reference to Arako that we've seen in months, so I'm very excited. And I can't help but agree that that was setting the groundwork for something so significant in X of Swords. That line, what if you don't have a weakness, that's how it always starts. Oh, I love that moment so much, and his creepy smile there, and just, he looks so elated and just delighted that these kids were coming to play. Like, it, it was such a great and weird beginning to the issue. Absolutely. So excited to see where, where, where we all end up with, with the summoner. And one of the things about the summoner that makes his experience on Krakoa so transformative is how far in mystery he's shrouded. Frequently, Apocalypse's minions do sort of like generic Apocalypse minioning. They abduct people and they blow stuff up, whatever. But this guy has had to lie in wait for some great time. And one of the big things that they keep pushing in X of Swords at the moment is that we're going to be entering an age where Apocalypse's history comes back to haunt him. And I'm pretty excited for that because it does seem, for the most part, like Apocalypse is the history that haunts people. In that regard, putting this summoner in the context of this bigger picture of what is Apocalypse up to, what has he been up to... Apocalypse loves taking young children and sort of fucking with them. You know, the especially because to him, in so many ways, everyone is a child. He's 4,000 years old or whatnot. And even Xavier is a child to him, which must be part of why Xavier felling him so frequently is frustrating. But the summoner is such a blank slate. Jonah, I know that in many ways, your newness to the X-Men can occasionally feel like a detriment. But you're starting at moment one on the summoner. How is that translating as a new reader, knowing that this character is at that same point of newness for everyone? Well, I'm still wondering exactly what role the mutant called a seed has in the entirety, because we've seen promo for Summoner in Ten of Swords, part of like the big conglomerate of those like, you know, vaguely designed based off of Egyptian gods. So I'm really interested because this is a character that we know nothing about. So having a character have that same slate does make me feel better because I can also form opinions alongside of people that aren't, you know, influenced by previous stories or previous iterations of a character summoner is just weird i would say summoner is kind of missing you know the telltale sign that apocalypse has had something to do with a roster apocalypse is very clear on his branding everybody has you know their own horse their own horseman identity there's you know themes and the summoner comes from a world where apocalypse was absent and wasn't able to enact his you know meticulous branding design on summoner so you have literally a blank character he's just white white long hair kind of looks like okay this is a really weird cut but on netflix there was this korean horror film called white which had this k-pop group who after discovering success was haunted by this ghost that was trying to kill all of them it was really scary like really really great movie uh the song also in it is a fucking banger so uh that's what it looks like to me but like i know not everybody's gonna get that reference i'm here for it so, Maddie, you're in kind of the same position where you feel like your lack of experience on the X-Men is occasionally a weakness. But here, you're at the same advantage or disadvantage as the rest of the readership. You know, it's definitely nice to be on even playing field. And I think that's something that House and Powers introduced so neatly, which was why it was such a good jumping on point for me and for so many other readers, both non-readers and former readers, is that there was a clean slate to come back to. As long as you understood the general 
general characterizations of a decently sized cast of characters, then everybody was coming in with the ability to enjoy things for face value. I would never discount the fact that a greater knowledge of the back material would increase the enjoyment of what we're currently reading, but The Summoner is the greatest example of a blank slate for what's to come, and I couldn't even posit any predictions as to the role that he's going to play. Although I do stand by one of the Swordbreakers having armor that looks very reminiscent of Summoner Major logo, so we're just gonna have to see. You know, we've made a number of jokes about how there's more than 10 swords. Why is it called? Well, okay, the promos all say 10 swords. What? Okay, well, we know Cerebro isn't one of the Ten Swords. It shouldn't be, because it was created recently, so theoretically, if this is ancient magic, maybe it's not connected. And You know, we've got things like that, but thinking about the fact that there's a specific set number of pieces reminded me that this isn't the only game that is constantly coming up in imagery and symbolism. As a matter of fact, Kyle, you're big, you know, the thing that you stand so hard lately has been Excalibur and the evolving magic of Excalibur, and Saturnine is constantly shown playing chess. Right. It's as if the entire X-Men universe is gearing up for a very specific kind of game, and I think that might be a reference to the fact that our nerd culture has focused more on D&D and tabletop gaming at large, and I was wondering what you think about the fact that games are taking an emergent role in the X-Men. I think that it's a fascinating idea. Games are really just a simplified form of battle, so it's fitting that with this upcoming conflict looming over us that we're seeing all of these references to games and especially this this game that the summoner is introducing these characters to i mean he has rock slides pick up the piece and it immediately turns into a representative uh, of rock slide himself so you can see that these games they're they're really not just games i have a feeling that because rock slide picked up this token he may become a major player in whatever is coming up And I can only hope that Rockside finally gets his due. I love Santo, and it would be cool to see with Magneto getting so much spotlight. I'm not complaining because I love me some Magneto, but it would be cool to see one of the lesser mutants get some spotlight too. Oh, absolutely. I love seeing Hickman use the white pages again so effectively. You see Cyclops at some point towards the end of the book in a panel, but uh, he's not in this book. But you can still kind of hear Cyclops' voice in the data page. And I just love that Hickman is just packing in more story and getting your mind thinking. As soon as I saw those 40 combinations and, you know, broken down into defensive and offensive, right away you start thinking like, Okay, one's definitely with Storm. One might be with Colossus. You know, you just start thinking about who else Magneto could uh, could team up with. It gets you primed for the story. So when we get to that part, the payoff is even more because now it's something that that you've already contemplated, and it was just you know a handful of pages back. But I think not all white pages are created equal in the Docs era, uh, but Hickman continues to do it in, in the best possible way. I'd say followed very closely by uh, Gary or Jerry Dugan. And I even. Con- 
commented on Excalibur last episode, feeling strange for its white page placement separating the Gambit and Rogue story from the rest of the issue. By using that as an idea, by using the white pages as a psychological primer, as, and you know, let's talk for a minute, why media can change and how it should change. I love something that Maddie got me into a number of years ago, a web series called Marble Hornets, which was kind of ARG-ish about Slenderman, and what I really liked was that there was a second channel that you could choose to follow or not. We have some projects coming up to my creative team and I, and we're trying to utilize multiple avenues of data information and information distribution. These white pages, they prime your brain in a strategic way by transitioning from the freedom of art to the intensity and specific severity of letters on a page exclusively. You're transitioned to a place where your brain is changed from the immensity of imagination to the logic of writing. And it's to that end that these white pages help define the Hoxpox Doc Zoss era. I would love a compendium of just all the white pages, as silly as that would sound, but some sort of like the appendix writings of Krakoa trade. Would it be stupid to spend $16.99 on that? Not at all. Probably. But the experiment this proves, the validity of the transformation of comics to something greater than they've ever been. And you know, this sources back to pulp books. Pulp books did this all the fucking time. Hellblazer, John Constantine in the last 25 years has had three Christmas specials written in prose. I think there is something so significant about what these white pages offer that it would be foolish not to look at them and really talk about what it means to take a comic from the artistic world and to interpret it in just this side of binary data. She goes by Carol Danvers now. <laughs> You're cute. You know, I think it's it's a credit to what Nico's saying that these white pages take a little bit of time to digest. It's normally on a second read where the context of what exactly I'm reading comes into frame. And I think the fact that Magneto was used as the point of reference for the offensive and defensive coordination techniques for island protection is not by any means a coincidence and is not by any means just a vehicle to push this Magneto story that we're covering. I think of the entire Quiet Council, Magneto is the main offensive member to be linked inextricably with the island and not a roving team. And so, of course, Magneto would be used as the benchmark for prime protectors from the highest authority. Oh my god, oh my god, Magneto is the new Cyclops. Cyclops is getting to be a dad. Magneto is the new Cyclops. He's Xavier's errand boy. Then who's the new Magneto? Apocalypse. Ooh. Oh my god. Ooh. But where does Sinister fall in? He's, He's still the Sinister. New Apocalypse. Oh my god. Sinister okay, is Sinister. Yeah. I mean, and Sinister has always been the new Apocalypse, if you ask me. Sinister is the new Apocalypse is my favorite Netflix show. <laughs> what I found weird about this issue is something that Maddie brought up in the summary of what this entire issue was about, that Magneto's the unlikely hero. But I don't really think that's the case anymore. You know, it was seen in the earlier issues of X-Men for the Dawn of X, where the children of Krakoa, like, worship Magneto so much. That is their mutant father. That is everything that they could ever want and need out of something like that. So having Magneto as the unlikely hero, I don't really buy that as the adjective to use. Magneto isn't an unlikely hero. Magneto should be the one that we should be counting on, should be the hero we should be expecting. I should say should at least three more times in that entire sentence. Should, should, should. You know, and the one thing that I would should. argue to that credit is that this is more of a redemption of an identity 
than it is the redemption of a character. Magneto has been redeemed for some time now, but Magneto hasn't been in the red and purple costume as an anti-hero slash mm, scratch anti-hero as a good guy in my memory ever. Not not for an extended period of time, not as a reliable hero. So to see him don what is now to be described as war armor, it is the redemption of an identity through a reclaiming of power of what was synonymous with some of the worst times for Magneto in the red and blue costume. And, and it goes back to doing what he must, right? Like, doing do, what do, he like, must. Did I say red and blue? Red and purple? I got chills and I actually clapped when uh, the panel, I may even dress for the occasion and the armor kind of like just encasing him. I just, oh, it was so, such a, such a beautiful, beautiful moment. It might be because I have been watching The Legend of Korra and I've been speeding through it. It's very reminiscent to when Lynn is like, my workers need me. And she like metal bends the armor on her. It's amazing. Everybody should be watching Legend of Korra now that it's on Netflix. Uh, I'm just about I to just started it. I just started. I won't spoil anything else about it. It's amazing. Everybody should be watching it, especially if you were a fan of the original. I'll spoil everything about it. Talk to me privately. <laughs> <laughs> if you want spoilers, go talk to Maddie somewhere. I the would basically covet his spoiler feed. I would prefer... Okay, so Magneto meditating and basically under the waterfall and naked is obviously super hot. Everything I could ever use for Spank Bank material. It reminds me of... I don't know if anybody else is as big as an anime fan as I am, but my favorite anime of all time is hunter hunter and my favorite character is hisoka and it's not supposed to be hisoka you're not supposed to like hisoka but i love hisoka <laughs> that being said there's a very similar scene where hisoka is under a waterfall and he's taking a shower and he's naked but like the two main characters stumble upon him this is when they're in a fictional video game world but it reminds me of that because it's like listen i get it i'm all for free fo free form i'm all for hanging dong do what you gotta do <laughs> maybe like <laughs> cover up a little bit when you're around other people just a, just a smidge i used to never really understand the point of exodus i just didn't understand him like i i guess in my head toad was kind of exodus just the person that followed magneto around but then the more i thought about it as i got older and i wasn't six anymore which is what i was when exodus was introduced the older i got the more i came to understand exodus is a religious zealot and that has a different set of properties than being just a lackey I have long been a fan of how powerful Exodus is without wanting to be his own man. There's something really interesting about him wanting to belong to Magneto. I'm going to say something a little bit weird, but for all my ultimate taggers out there, it's kind of like if for some reason Bulldog wanted to be like Big Deal's beta, you would just be like, but he's his own person, right? And so I love that Exodus is so emotionally because he's not cucked at all he's emotionally enslaved to magneto as an ideological greater and it's to that end that if we do not see some greater focus like i want a book that's like frenzy and exodus and gray crow and i just want to see this book of these characters who have a lot to prove to both themselves and the world getting a chance to shine because what hickman did with exodus here reminded me that a character can be 25 years 
old, 30 years old, and you can think that they're as one-dimensional as you want, but you're going to find there's a whole lot you don't know. But I love that 25 years later, Exodus is still, at his core, Magneto's hype man, you know? And it, thousand but, percent. But it's true what you're saying, though, the, the religious property to it. it. It's almost like he's, you know, the vocal one, the one that's gathering the other sheep and the whole flock to, you know. Um, and I, I love that he's still fulfilling that function and, you know, living his best uh, his best life. He's I love him in this role. I love that this isn't the first time we've seen it. You know, this is this is like a recurring thing. This is kind of like Exodus's gig. He's not he's not in the front lines fighting the Kotati, right? He's taking care of the flock and and you know helping out with the evacuation and, and taking care of the kids and and I just love it. I want a House of M book. I want Magneto loyalists um, back in the mix. I want to see Fabian Cortez, <laughs> who I hated for betraying Magneto or whatever, but I would like to see him somewhere on Krakoa. I think his power set lends itself to this, you know, kind of uh, new way of, of synergizing mutants, combining different power sets. I think Fabian Cortez is like a great story waiting to be told in there. And yeah, I just, I want to see some Magneto, you know, some more Magneto. I want, I want the House of M book so bad. For those of you who aren't familiar with Fabian Cortez, he's basically kick as a mutant, but not sublime. (laughs) (laughs) So... I'm not familiar with Exodus at all. Um, I, I believe he was introduced after I stopped reading the uh, the earlier runs. So Correct. He came in right after Okay. That. So I have absolutely no idea about him whatsoever. But what I did like about his appearance in this is that he is responsible for building this oral history among the, the mutants. He's helping to build these stories that will, I'm assuming, eventually become mutant mythology. Stuff that builds a mutant culture. It builds mutant culture. And, you know, that's that's such a great view on who Exodus is. So, I don't know who Exodus is. I don't even know what his mutant abilities are. I just know that I want to keep calling him Exodia because he kind of looks like Exodia from Yu-Gi-Oh! Which is a card that kids these days don't even know. But... <laughs> Him telling the story to the mutant children was interesting, but I don't really understand if this was the best way to introduce him to newer readers. Because Exodus is really the only character on the Quiet Council who hasn't gotten a lot of panel time. But I still don't really have an idea of who he is, and maybe those pages would have been better suited to just more of what Magneto was doing. So that's one downvote on, on ex- <laughs> and I almost said on Exodius. <laughs> so that's a downvote on Exodius. Damn it! That's a downvote on Exodus. I have to go. Goodbye. Come back. I, I want to have a, a moment of appreciation for the the little comedic beat with uh, no time for that nonsense today, child. Between uh, Magneto, Sophie, and Mindy, I love that so much. That to me was just like vintage cuckoos. Immediately, it was like, yes, that that's that is the five and one, you know, and and just like their little games. And I love that they like fucking with Magneto, and it just it was such a just small joke, but I loved it. And it's that joking that you know, because like I love Hickman and I love Morrison. I'm probably a little bit more a Morrison guy, but I think it's because I have more positive experiences with Morrison books than I've had a chance to have with Hickman books yet. And, you know, for Morrison, the humor is that it turns out the sexy lady you've been making out with is a genderless space slug and she's grotesque. (laughs) And it's funny, but it's also disturbing, right? Hickman loves all the big science of that, but Hickman loves putting in like the office jokes. So it's an evolution of the idea and 
it's not that I think Mike Carey isn't funny because, you know, you just have to read his Hellblazer or his Lucifer to understand that he's funny. But X-Men Legacy lacked the sense of humor that new X-Men thrived on and that is keeping House of X and Powers of Ten very light. And side note, and this is in response to everything everyone here has said, there's a lot of rumors that most of the books will restart after Ten of Swords. I beg them to relaunch with a book called House, and each issue is a one-shot about a different house. I want to go to all the habitats. Habitat me up! Speaking of all the habitats, I have a theory about the island that we saw Magneto acquire in what I can't stop mentioning, which seems to be giant-sized Magneto. Pharaoh? I'm 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 hungry. Tell me. The hit me. The, Fill me. The, the white pages say that Bishop has been cataloging the amount of training being done yes. on Danger Island in the Atlantic Archipelago. As I pointed out in our coverage of Giant Size Magneto, there were puffins in the background. They are native only to the North Atlantic, which puts this as the first Krakoan piece of property that we know. For first sentient patch of Krakoa to be in the Atlantic at all. Um, I thought that one of the maps had shown that there was a uh, another Kirkoan landmass in the middle of the Atlantic. Mm, I'm gonna race you to my house and powers hardcover. <laughs> well, but if nothing else, this is at least confirmation of expansion of a concept. And to understand that that expansion might be put in the hands of Magneto, a guy who is pretty well known for running mutant islands unto himself, whether it's essentially Asteroid M, which is, you know, a space island, or it's Genosha, or it's whatever piece of wreckage he's floating home on from that week's explosion. Magneto knows how to run an island, and, you know, there's that joke, no mutant is an island, they use it as a title of a million issues, but kinda sorta, Magneto is. If someone's gonna run multiple Atlantic Ocean islands by himself, like some sort of mutant Richard Branson, I think it's gonna be Magneto. I would have to agree. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because Xavier is too busy with with Krakoa itself. I, I really do wonder how much of Xavier is in the island at this mm. point. How much of Xavier is in each one of those shells and how much of Xavier... I mean, we know that creatures can live on the astral plane for years and years and years. Cough, cough, my precious Amal. So I think... X-Men 11 was purposefully a small, standalone, easily devoured story that was meant to leave us with this many character questions. This is the bread and butter of Hickman's work, and it's certainly something that I am growing to rely on every Wednesday. I loved that the Iraqi language is so uh, similar to the Krakoan language, but it's more angular. And that's, god damn it. So now I have to do a little etymology, and I don't have a choice. So for those of you who aren't aware, the origin of phonetics and numbers, the way it works is... Think about a one, and think about a one with what's known as the flag, right? That creates a single angle. That's how you could identify that a one meant one. It only had one angle. Think about the way a two is shaped. It's kind of shaped like a backward Z. It's because that would nat naturally have two angles. A three with no curves would have three angles. So on and so forth. This was so that people who were illiterate would be able to count by identifying the number of similar things without having to be able to make math in any other way. If you needed to make change, you would just count the number of angles. So 
So undulation was a really common thing in lettering. And that's why we saw such a massive shift toward calligraphy as things went further because the finessability of things by finer motor control with your hand and practicing so humans learn it and their muscles evolve and we learn protein markers, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's how we had script order continua and then we evolved from script order continua into proper language. But what I'm getting at is historically language was more block and line-based and has evolved with the ability of humans and the magic of the opposable thumb to include more curves as curves are more of a modern invention than the angle is. So that is both an astute observation and a beautiful piece of design work by Tom Muller who just needs to be given every fucking award. I mean, the guy has been nominated for a ton of awards. He just left his agency and announced recently that he's going to be striking out on his own. And I can't speak highly enough of the beautiful work he's given us this last year. And Kyle, what an astute observation to bring in. X-Men 11 was an interesting book about redemption, but redemption for who, really? Does Magneto really need to be redeemed in the eyes of Krakoan children slash Krakoa? Or does he need to be redeemed in our eyes? I feel like he doesn't really even need this redemption and this unlikely hero story because we've seen time and time again in other issues, especially in his giant size, that he's been pretty much dedicated to the Krakoan cause. That being said, I think this was a fairly entertaining issue with really interesting art and showing that Magneto as an ally is a very formidable battle tactician. It would not be an amazing episode of our amazing summer of guests without having a guest to thank. Arturo, it's been so amazing having you on, and I can't wait to have you on next episode where I'm sure you're going to kill it again. But until you come back to share our wonderful X space, where can everybody find you online? I will be using my pheromone abilities on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Toybox. Well, we can't wait to have you on again, and it's been such a blast having you. Hey, Kyle, what are we covering next episode? So next episode, we will be covering Hellions number three and X-Factor number two. Until then, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Maddie, where can everybody find you? You can find me singing Magneto's praises over on Instagram at at the basely covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me dropping satellites on plant-like alien creatures trying to invade my land on Twitter and Instagram at peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? I am the very model of a modern mutant magnetist. I have all of the powers and the schemes that make me terrorist. Thank you. That is, yes, that is singing Magneto's praises. So, um, you can find me being obsessed with Gilbert and Sullivan like I'm still six years old wearing bow ties and suspenders, which, you know, I still do, over on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out some of the other amazing podcasts on the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me, including Access for Podcasts many feeds, as well as HTML, where we're currently covering the Fantastic Four, not to mention, you can also check us out all summer long on the fast and the furious and guys this should go without saying but just in case someone needs to hear it out there please remember black lives matter trans dreams matter and you need to vote like your friends lives depend on it and speaking of lives it would be remiss of a podcast about comic books not to say something about the insidious loss of chadwick boseman this week it is just mind-bending to think that that man gave so much joy to so many people while he was in so much physical pain and how many people truly thrived because of what he had to offer.
offer. And I just, my heart goes out to his whole family and to the whole world. And on the subject of voting like your life depends on it, Chadwick's final tweet was about his good friend Kamala Harris, fellow Howard University alum, and how he hopes to see her campaign successful. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please keep those mutant lights lit and keep them lit this week for Chadwick. And we hope you all have a great week. Until next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.